This is Halftime Adjustments on WPXI Now. Welcome to WPXI Now. It's 8 o'clock. If your uh, clock that chimes at home rang eight times, you know that it's time for Halftime Adjustments. I'm Albie Oxenrider, and Chris Carter from DKPittsburghSports.com is on the other side. Hi, Chris. How are you on this hump day eve? I'm doing I'm doing great man I'm doing great you know just getting through another week Steelers OTAs are still going strong still a lot of stuff going on even though it's just the offseason well uh there's always a lot of stuff going on and you mentioned Steelers OTAs and and uh we're also keeping our eye on the Penguins as they uh put a bow on the uh 2020 2021 season and uh let's face it this was a huge disappointment and uh, we could talk about where the pens are going from here. How good are they? Ron Hextall, their GM, uh, spoke with the media today. And the the initial uh, impression, the, the initial thought from Ron Hextall is he has no problem with the coaching staff. He thinks they are in a win-now mentality, that they, they have the pieces in place. He thinks they have a very good team. All these things being said, Chris, this is a team that, that did not make it past the first round again. This is, uh, what do you always say? One time is this, two times is this, three times. Well, all of a sudden, they're looking like a team that's a perennial early exit from the playoffs. Yeah, that's the struggle with, with, with this, is that a lot of fans are going to point to the last three years in a row coming off of two Stanley Cup championships. They've been bounced in the first round of the playoffs, for and for different reasons. But, Albie, I, I think that when you objectively look at the Penguins, and you try to observe what's quote-unquote wrong with this team right now. Uh, when, we, when we started this season, everyone was saying doom and gloom, this team might not make the playoffs. And, and there were legitimate thoughts about that even a few a few months in because they were concerned with how good Philly was playing and how well, you know, how, how well, you know, Boston in the Capitals and would they even be able to get that fourth spot in the division. And they went out and won the division. And yes, they fell apart in a playoff series. But to me... It, it would be different if th- that core didn't fight through a lot of different things this past year. We forget about how when they lost Evgeny Malkin, this team stepped up in so many different ways. And they kept – I mean, there was there were rushes of injuries to several different positions time after time, and they were finding ways to group together, finding ways yeah. to win yeah. and yeah. beating those teams in their division that they were, they were, suppo- that were supposed to run them over. And yes, is it a shame that they lost to the Islanders in the first round? Yep. Is it disappointing? Absolutely. But I'm not so sure that just blowing everything up is what you want to do, Albie, because, you know, when we're talking about the core play, the core players are fine. You, you don't want to get rid of Sidney Crosby. You want to get rid of Malkin. You don't want to get rid of Latang. Now, if if you could ship those guys off and get some maybe future building blocks, you know, that's a whole different conversation. But this is a core that still has the talent that if they hit, if they get things going, they're still they're still going to be one of the most competitive teams in the NHL. Case in point, the reason they lost this last series was because of the, the goaltending. And he talked about how Jari's young and he'll grow from this. You know that why, why wouldn't anyone think that? Now maybe they should go get a more veteran goaltender who could come in and Jari can more so spell and come in on you know in uh, you know in spots, but. I, again, the core wasn't the problem for me. They, they had, they had poorly timed uh, goalie play and then their backup goalie was hurt and they didn't trust the the guy that they brought up in legacy. That's there's too much going on there for me to just say, ah, yeah, blow it up. Get get rid of these guys. And I think Ron Hextall 
he looked at everything as like, yeah, it's the same kind of evaluation. Same thing with Mike Sullivan. Yeah, I, I agree that I, I don't believe blowing it all up and, and starting all over, especially when you're, you know, you've got a guy like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, even if Evgeny Malkin uh, is, is half of what he used to be, he's still better than three quarters of the league. He's that much of a talent. Uh, and it's not like any other defenseman, and I'm leaving Brian Dumoulin out of this, but some of those uh, younger defensemen, it's not like any of them jumped up and said, I can be Chris Letang. Chris Letang is still a solid player. So you have that core. Forget about the core for a second. Um, and you make a good point about the goaltender. The goaltender did not rise up. He did not put that team on his back. He did not stand on his head, even though it wasn't all his fault. Sometimes you need a goalie to do those things. Um, I do think that, that, that the Penguins, even with Matt Murray as their goalie, who was the goalie that they chose uh, when Marc-Andre Fleury um, exited Pittsburgh, uh, they had problems then. Again, Look back to last year. The Penguins not only didn't make it past the first round, they didn't make it past the play-in round. Yeah. So this is a team that, that uh, again, is making a habit out of these early exits, despite the considerable talent and the considerable leadership of Sidney Crosby. Everybody agrees that Sidney Crosby is exactly the guy you want uh, uh, in – Every situation, he had nothing to prove, and he's done everything. And, and here's another thing to remember, Albie. You know, people talk about when, when that decision came down, and everyone since then, oh, they should have stuck with Mark Andre Fleury over Matt Murray because they they, they want to look at it. And hindsight's always twenty twenty. Mark Mark Andre Fleury got destroyed in this town when they were losing in the early twenty tens, and they would get this, this destroyed. And he had a, and he had some really bad games in the playoffs, and they would they would bring in uh, Vokun and, and, you know to to replace him. And people were like, oh, he should be the the goalie of the future. It wasn't until Mark Andre Fleury and Matt Murray became a good team in in the in the mid twenty tens that they're like, oh yeah, now he can win Stanley Cups. Now we love this situation. Jari's young. He's got to grow. He's and he's got he's got to learn from this, and we'll see how he does next year with it. But one thing that we've seen, the Penguins need two goalies to be to be competitive uh, in those situations in case of an emergency spot. Now, another situation, if Jari shows up. Are we even talking about this situation? No, because they're probably moving on to the next round, and we're talking about oh, how are they doing against the Bruins? You know, all, all those types of things. Um, so I, I'm I'm not throwing anything out here, and, and I will say Sidney Crosby though he was disappointing at times in the playoffs. You still don't say ah, well that one bad series. Let's get rid of a lifetime of achievements for that guy. All right, we're going to talk a whole lot more about all kinds of stuff. It's halftime adjustments. We're getting you over the hump and into Thursday. And we appreciate you being with us in WPXI now back after this. Welcome back to Halftime Adjustments. I'm Albie Oxenrider with Chris Carter. And yeah, we could talk about the Penguins uh, on and on and on. And some of those questions will begin to be answered, although Ron Hextall did answer those questions today. We have other questions with another team. And that is the Steelers as they continue OTAs. You know, Chris, I, I got an email this week uh, from a gentleman that was, uh, uh, let's just say he was a bit irate because I didn't explain properly on television what OTAs uh, are. OTA, it's an acronym for organized team activity. So yes. that's that. I, uh, I, I hope I've explained that well. It's uh, continuing for the Steelers. And hey, Ben's two top receivers on the field on Tuesday. 
that's always a plus. Chase Claypool and, and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. But Ben also talked, and I don't know about you, Chris, but I saw and heard a Ben Roethlisberger that seems not only uh, ready to go for another season with the Steelers, but relaxed and confident, and he was being nice and saying a lot of the right things uh, about how different this offense is going to look, and uh, they're going to take a lot of people by surprise. What are your initial thoughts on uh, that, that Ben Roethlisberger that we saw in the interview on Zoom yesterday? A, a few things, Albie. One thing that he pointed out, you know, when someone asked him, oh, how do you feel about your deep ball and, you know, what are things going on? He's like, well, you know, I did go through this whole reconstructive surgery on my elbow thing. And he talked about a factor that I think few people are putting into this this year. We saw at the, at the end of the season last year when his when he started falling off, you saw, you saw his deep ball not be as sharp as it was even earlier in the season when he was hitting 84-yard bombs to chase Claypool. Um, you also saw his, his reads break down. But one thing he brought up was that his arm was a lot more tired late last year because for last year's offseason, he had to throw thousands of passes to get his arm back to normal so that he could go into training camp and compete because that's the recovery part of the recovery process, working back the muscles that he couldn't move for so long as he recovered from his surgery. And now he's in a position where he's like, okay, we've already done that. I know what my arm is like now. I can trust my arm and I can go into this like a regular year instead of a year where my arm, you know, kind of like with pitchers in baseball, just threw way too many times. And I thought that was a very interesting point to look at for um, for what for what the Steelers need from Ben Roethlisberger. And again, you're not going to be seeing him throw 40, 50 times the games, nearly as much as you saw last year. Najee Harris being there changes things. And he even talked about Najee Harris and how, like, Najee is sometimes working there so late that the running back coach, Eddie Faulkner, tells him, he's like, hey, man, I, I got to go home. Like, I got <laughs> life. So I, I think one thing that you really saw, you, you brought up, Ben was a bit was chipper. Even even with the situation with Marquise Pouncey being gone, even coming off um, a playoff loss to the Browns, which he said he hated, and then he doesn't want to you know let that be the end of his career. Th- this was a guy who was like, you know, yeah, I've heard what people have said about me and people saying he's not a top sixteen quarterback in the NFL anymore. He's in the bottom half of the league. He seems to be like, okay, I got my guys. I trust my my team, and he also expressed a ton of admiration for the Steelers as an organization. He, he seems like he's in a very good place, and, and that's with him taking a $5 million pay cut this year, which he said was his idea. Yeah, I, I think that the way you just described that, he's in a very good place. I think that's exactly what I saw. I saw a guy that was not only confident and being nice to everybody and saying the right things, but, but that's born of the fact that he's relaxed. And I think that he feels good about where he is. I think he feels good about this team. Now, we can get into analyzing how the Steelers will be down the road, but I think Ben knows in the back of his mind, even though he won't say it, that this will be it for him. And I think he's going to do everything possible to make sure he pushes all the right buttons. He talked about uh, not throwing as much, preserving his arm. Uh, remember, the early Ben Roethlisberger last season was, was lights out. Um, and, and later in the season, you know, it, it, the wear and tear started to show with Ben. I think he's going to be very careful to pace himself. But he knows in Najee Harris, he has a he has a running back that can cure a lot of things. He know he he knows he has Juju back. He knows he has an exciting receiver in, in Chase Claypool. 
I think that the, let's just say that the offensive line um, has some upside. There are a lot of unproven things about the line, but I think that there's also some intrigue that this line could be exactly what they want. Um, the defense, again, there's some things that the questions that have to be answered, but I think all in all, this is a defense that could help out the cause as well. Uh, this is it. This is like when Michael Jordan was on the cover of uh, Sports Illustrated, and, you know, that in, in his final season. And, uh, you know, it, it's 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 that last run. It's it's in, in, in whether or not this is Ben's last season. Again, we can debate that another another time. But let's assume going in that this is it. It's now or never. And despite the tough schedule, they've got to do all the right things. They've got to push all the right buttons. They have to use their considerable talent. And for all they've lost, there's still some considerable talent on the Steelers. And Ben would love to go out, as you mentioned, uh, with another Super Bowl. That would just be uh, that would be the way to put an exclamation point on a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, that's another thing that, that you brought up, you know, with this being his last year. Ben said, you know, someone asked him, like, do you treat are you treating this like it's your last year? He's like, I treat every game like it's my last game. Like he's just like that's that's the nature of the NFL. This is a guy, it's not lost on him what's what his situation is. It's not lost on him what the, the way that the things ended last year. And, and I get a sense that he's embracing it instead of running away from it. Now, he's still Ben Roethlisberger. He has his sarcastic ways when he talks about things and saying, oh, the whole offense is going to be different. It's obviously didn't mean that way. But one thing I did when he talked about Matt Canada's offense, I was like, hey, the verbiage is different. There's going to be different challenges that way. And those are the things that I think could take some time to adjust and maybe a few new concepts that spread out where he's throwing the ball and when he's throwing the ball. I'm not permitted to say much at this point, except thank you, Chris. <laughs> we'll be. <laughs> Is that okay, Dean? All right, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Halftime Adjustments. And Chris, we were talking during the break, and I mentioned that Coach K-Pole, uh, Coach K-Retired, not to be confused with Coach K-Pole. Um, yeah, Coach Mike Krzyzewski says this season coming up will be his last. How long will it take before everybody's asking if Jeff Capel will be in line for that job? Uh, you mean like they already are? Because that's, yeah. that's what they're doing right now. Pitt fans are like, great. You just got this coach. Now you can't even keep him because Coach K wants to retire out of nowhere. But being honest here, Albie, I'm not so sure that Duke that, that, that that's a perfect marriage right now between Duke and Jeff Cable. Jeff Cable, he's he's been a head coach a few times. You know, this isn't his first time going around going around with Pitt. You know, he had he had his spell with Oklahoma where they made an Elite Eight, but then they fell off and then they had the scandals that, that weren't really involving him. Um, but you know, and now he's at Pitt and they've been having Pitt's been going through some struggles. It might actually work out for Jeff to stay in Pittsburgh while Duke figures this out. And, and here's why the ACC has had a ton of coaches who have been around for a very long time and have been the center of their programs being, you know, being blue bloods or powerhouses and making their serious runs, whether it's coach K with uh, with Duke, whether it's Roy Williams with UNC, whether it's you know Coach Bayheim with Syracuse, there's a ton of those old coaches, and those guys 
are whittling off. And instead of running to replace them in their programs, there might be a new wave of who might be the true powerhouses of the ACC coming in the next few years. And this would be an ample opportunity for some of those programs and younger coaches who are looking to make their mark and be the sort of, you know, pillars of a conference that those guys were for decades. If those, if someone can step into that role, that might be the best opportunity there and to, and to do it at a program that wasn't a blue blood like Pitt. You know, I, I really see it. That might be the opportunity here. And that Jeff might see this as like, Hey, you know what? Pitt's put faith in me, even with no winning seasons yet, you know, they've extended me that, you know, there's, you know, you're building something there and yes, Pitt's had its troubles. They lost five players to the transfer portal, even though they just got a, a fourth one in the transfer portal uh, this past week here. But I actually, actually there could be merit to trying to stay on one of these teams that you're building in the, in, especially in the ACC and trying to become one of those organizations or one of those programs that, you know, when we're talking about is like regularly, you know, what if Pitt became one of those ACC teams that was leading the conference year in and year out, that would change an entire dynamic. Albie are, are talking about Pitt, even when they were in the Jamie Dixon days, when they joined the ACC, it was not the big East. This was not their conference. They weren't going to, you know, be able to adjust to this style of play but maybe this will be their chance while these other programs are going through these major transitions. All right. I, I like where you're going with this. And that is there have been these, these power brokers in, in, in the ACC from coach K to, to Roy Williams for sure. And, 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 and Jim Beheim. I mean, let's face it. Jim Beheim is a guy that has not only been around for a lot of years, he's won for a lot of years. And um, even though he's removed from that traditional ACC uh, territory, uh, much like Pitt. Um, but that's how things go in the, news con- in the new conference. And one of the things that I think that Jeff Capel uh, and Pitt in general, have, that, that they've had to deal with, is trying to fight that recruiting battle. When you have two coaches in particular, I'm talking about Coach K and Roy Williams, at traditional ACC schools in that region, and I think it's very difficult to compete against that. And I think that the one uh, bright spot from this whole thing, and college basketball will miss him, the conference will miss him. Um, he's a beyond the Hall of Famer. He's certainly a coaching icon, even as he coaches. Um, but it's an opportunity for these other programs in the conference that really haven't done anything um, to, to rise up. And it's 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 like it, it's a chance to wipe it all clean. Everybody's going to start from scratch because whoever goes in there, um, it's not going to be it's not going to be like it was with Coach K. I mean, if you were even back to the days when Jeff Capel recruited for Coach K, um, it's 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 a lot different when you can say, "Hey, uh, would you like to meet Coach K?" and put an exclamation point on this whole recruiting process. Without Coach K, whoever it is that replaces him. Uh, we'll have challenges, uh, you know, filling those shoes. No question about it. And I think it's an opportunity for Jeff Capel, for Pitt, and for all the other schools who have had trouble getting traction in that conference. And, and something to remember about the power broker thing that you mentioned there. Coach K is not just a power broker for getting certain players to the program. He was a power broker for other guys to get jobs coaching-wise. And Jeff Capel has kind of, you know, illuminated that with how, you know, there was, there were, there was coaches that were coming after uh, Coach Krzyzewski 
you know, during the, during the season this year. And when, you know, and when that happened, Jeff you know, would, would pull their card and be like, Hey, coach K helped you get a job. So like, I don't know what you're ta- talking to him about and criticizing him for. And, and Capel has always maintained a high level of respect for coach K and, and Krzyzewski and just what, what he's represented over time and who he's been over time. I think that there's a ton of people who operate in the same way because they know that that guy pull, not only pulls a lot of strings, but he has a lot of juice and a lot of respect when it comes to the discussion on how these things are going. And, and again, what we're, what, you know, we, we were talking about this months ago, Albie, but the impact of the transfer portal boom, we have over 1600 players in the transfer portal last year. It wasn't bigger than a thousand and twenty five there is a huge boom in that in that being the way that college basketball is being played. And a lot of those guys that have been used to running their program for years, they're probably tired of it and they don't want to deal with this new era. This is, it could be a time to make moves. All right. All right. Back with our final moments. It's halftime adjustments on WPXI now, Chris, and I will return after this. And welcome back. Our final moments here. Hey, I have to tell you, uh, even though we knew this was coming, uh, the Pirates have hit a real rough stretch. Uh, they've lost nine of 11 and they're on pace. I, I saw yesterday or today, they're on pace to lose 100 plus games. That's something you always try to avoid. And uh, perhaps it's just uh, going to be difficult to do just that. Albie, forget the record. They're looking yeah, I know. so I know bad i mean just the the will craig first base play that's all you gotta look at that is going to be on highlight on on highlights of low light that's gonna make the sports center not top 10 for the next year of just the worst play in baseball i have ever seen that's what's going on here it's not again it'd be different if they were battling through this it's just like hey you don't got the guys but not only you got the guys you're making boneheaded mistakes and crazy things are happening yeah, you know, you get Brian Reynolds falling for an interference thing last, you know, last night. It's just rough. So, Pirates fans, we told you it's going to be rough, and you are going through it right now. Yeah, just, uh, just stay with it, and we'll see what happens down the road. But remember, it's not about 2021. Thanks, Chris. That's our show for this week. I'm Albie Oxenrider. We'll see you next week at eight o'clock right here on WPXI Now.